welcome to the Shoulder Physio Podcast, a podcast dedicated to exploring meaningful topics in musculoskeletal healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Powell. Before we begin, the primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The views expressed in this podcast by myself and any guests are information only, do not constitute professional advice and are general in nature. If you act on the basis of any podcast episode, you should obtain specific advice from a qualified health professional before proceeding. Today's guest is Kieran Richardson. Kieran is a physiotherapist based in Perth, Western Australia. Kieran has a special interest in the non-surgical management of ACL injury. Historically, the gold standard management of the injured ACL in athletic individuals is surgical reconstruction. Kieran is challenging this common belief, and I'm intrigued. We discuss the history of the ACL reconstruction, the healing capacity of the ACL, what the evidence base actually suggests in regards to the best practice management of an injured ACL, and some interesting cultural beliefs surrounding the infamous ACL. This conversation was originally recorded in April 2020 for my YouTube show on the shoulders of giants. Without any further delay, I bring to you my conversation with Kieran Richardson. I'm really pumped to have this chat, Kieran. It's a hot topic at the moment. It seems to be getting hotter and hotter and hotter, hotter by the week. Um, so I was very keen to get you on to, to get your thoughts on this in this weird time of the coronavirus and everything. So video conferencing seems to be another hot topic as well. So uh, let's get into it. So give us a brief intro about yourself and then also how you came to be interested in the non-optimization of those boundaries. Yeah, so, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so I work as a uh, specialist musculoskeletal physio in Perth, and uh, we consult. I run a consultancy company of academics and researcher clinicians, and we uh, give second opinions to uh, clinics in Perth and run mentoring and professional development for, for physios. Uh, and so that's I do that full-time, and I have my own caseload of about 10 hours a week to two half days where I see a lot of ACL injured patients uh, for non-surgical opinion. And uh, there's some failed grafts as well in there. So people that have gone through the surgery, they've returned to sport, it's ruptured. Uh, and then I'll, I'll see them for review and, and rehab. Um, it all started for me when I was going through my specialist physio training and I had two contrasting cases that really forced me to look into the literature. So I had this one case and they were similar demographics. So there was this patient, she was in her thirties and she was out late one night dancing under the influence of alcohol uh, and she, her knee gave way. And then she went to an emergency department and saw a specialist who decided to operate on her the next day. And then uh, during that operation in the, uh, the, op, the operation notes, it says that the hamstring graft that they'd used was contaminated. So they uh, put a Lars graft in about, she, she really, she wasn't given any rehabilitation after. And so she, her knee uh, felt sore for about a year. And then they had a um, follow-up MRI and it showed that she developed a Cyclops lesion, which meant that her knee was stiff. So she had an arthroscopy for that uh, and it helped a bit. So she got a little bit more range and flexion. And then uh, she had a, um, another uh, series of scans which showed she had developed inflammatory arthropathy within her knee. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so the specialist decided upon, uh, after feeling her knee that her, her uh, Lars graft was lax. So they did a two part revision where they um, took out the Lars and then decided upon using a contralateral hamstring. Uh, as well as that, she had a, what he felt was a posterior lateral uh, corner instability. So they used the contralateral gracilis uh, for a uh, posterior lateral corner reconstruction. And uh, they did a, this revision of the knee. Um, unfortunately, after the first stage of the revision, she developed an infection where they took bone graft from her hip after a dog jumped up onto her hip. And then Good. so she was, <laughs> then she had uh, antibiotics which uh, didn't help. And then so she was in the hospital on an IV drip for a week. And then a couple of months later, she had the last part of the revision. Unfortunately, the day after that revision, they uh, she got up, up and her knee like buckled and she did a grade two MCL uh, right. and near full, near full thickness popliteus. So she came in and saw me uh, in clinic on a four-wheeled walker. Mm. So this is a patient... Uh, that I just saw in practice and she was mm. like weeping the entire consult mm. um, and she was in you know a lot of pain. And so I saw her and we rehabbed her and got her eventually semi-functioning in about a year and a half. Mm. And, then, and then while I was seeing her, I had this other patient who had a, uh, a sporting injury where she was playing field hockey, the knee gave way, kind of classic ACL. And uh, uh, mild, uh, M small MCL, L uh, small meniscal tear, sorry. She came in and said, look, whatever the scan shows, because she hadn't had a scan, I want to have, uh, I don't want to have surgery because my friends have had surgery and it didn't work out so well. Mm. And so I looked a bit into the research and I just thought, okay, well, what is the research? So, because I was going through this, this specialist training, which is big on uh, uh, translating research to, to what you would do in the clinic. And this, um, this patient, she was committed to the rehab and then we, we just took her through uh, based on, I guess, the, the best studies that were available and she returned to sport in four months. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the first one that I'd done, which was about six years ago now. Um, mm -hmm. And after that, I guess I just had these two contrasts and I just it forced me to look into the literature. Uh, so I would have spent you know, hundreds of hours just reading my own papers, reviews. And then mm. I started interviewing uh, research experts from both sides of the aisle, like, you know, mm. surgeon research experts and, mm. and physio research experts. Mm. Uh, and then I just started to realise we had a problem with over-servicing mm. uh, of, of this, this technique in managing, not to say that no one ever needs it, but mm. um, just that there was no uh, real... Uh, resources for patients to to access uh, early non-surgical opinion, or even just that that non-surgical is as as mm. good uh, for many people. So that's just forced me to to look into it more. And and I've I've now I now run workshops for physios, as, and uh, I've seen hundreds of patients using this this sort of approach. So the so the light bulb moment was this this two very opposite outcomes. Uh, which is which is kind of how it happens, doesn't it? You a light bulb moment comes with clinical practice, and you see differing outcomes based on. To be honest, if you'd have run those two scenarios and didn't say the intervention that they had, 
most physios would say the one who got back to sport quicker was likely the surgical one, I'm sure. So this is yeah, the cultural exactly. norm, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. It's just so, uh, I guess, you know, you're right. Like it was, guess, I guess, an epiphany or a light bulb moment. Like I hadn't even thought about, I just assumed, um, I'd never thought critically about whether uh, it was the best approach i just assume mm. surgery was better and this is coming from an experienced physio you know i just sort of mm. had had assumed that the research would be quite obvious on it and then uh the deeper you look into the research um probably similar with what you find with the shoulder uh what you what you start to see is um there's this commitment to uh, a pathoanatomical approach that maybe isn't necessarily founded in good in good evidence mm. um and then uh patients are told things that uh you know this is a new acl this is uh, a minimally invasive technique mm. um you know this is uh the gold standard and there's these kind of euphemisms that they're presented with but mm. when you when i just started asking the question well okay, well, is there actually research that shows that a, a structured exercise program is worse, is going to make patients worse off mm. uh, who have an ACL tear? Mm. Or, you know, is there actually good science to show that doing rehab is going um, mm. to, you know, be detrimental? Mm. And you start thinking, okay, well, if, if the best studies aren't showing that that's true, then, mm. you know, maybe it, we've got a problem. There's a conspiracy on our hands, that's for sure. Um, but I mean, con conceptually, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yes. And this is yes. this is the problem with pathoanatomy. Not the problem, but this is why it's such an appealing model, right? You you tear something yes. which is imperative for what we were taught, the functional stability of the knee, and I can extrapolate to the shoulder for a rotator cuff there as well. You correct yes. that, and then you yes. go on as you were. Correct. So you yeah. can understand probably why we have sort of gone down this pathway. But here we are, fifty years later, potentially, or even more. I don't know. When when did I? When was the first ACL surgery done? So they started doing uh, ACL reconstructions in the early nineteen hundreds, mm. and um, they did all sorts of. They've done all sorts of ACL reconstructions. So you've got uh, obviously the ones that we know now, the hamstring or bone patella tendon bone. Uh, but they used to use the meniscus for some patients. They used to use the ITB uh, for mm. some patients. Um, they uh, they've used different animal models. And there's there's uh, a, a paper after a famous AFL player, uh, uh, fairly famous for his. Um, 12 ACL surgeries, uh, Alex Johnson from the Sydney Swans. So after he did his, yeah, he had, so he had five reconstructions and then a further seven ops because he developed an infection. Mm. Um, and you'd think, you know, after maybe the first or second that they'd be thinking differently. But mm. um, so th there was this, there's this group now, I'm pretty sure on the East Coast that are advocating for kangaroo tendon uh, to be used in human subjects, which I actually thought when I first read the article was a satirical piece. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I, uh, the more I looked into it and the, the um, lead researcher says, look, the marketing is easy. Uh, people are always asking us to put extra hop into their step. <laughs> and I thought it was a joke. Literally. As a New <laughs> well, as a New Zealander, I thought this was a joke. Like I was like, yeah. is this a joke? Um, yeah. You know, 
but it's it's true. So there's there's these people, and you're right. Like conceptually, it does make sense. The problem is, uh, it it's it's a series of logical fallacies. So uh, whenever you take a drill uh, and put it through someone's bone structure, it does something to the bone structure that's uh, different to not doing it. Mm. Um, and you know, I can I can mention studies if if that would help the listeners, but or the viewers, but there was a paper yeah, we by. Might come to that in a minute, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's it's bas- it's basically you, you when you when they drill the tibial and femoral tunnels, mm. uh, it softens the joint cartilage, creates microfractures, uh, mm. it punctures into the joint. So when you have an ACL injury, normally it's it's intracapsular, but when you t- when you come in with a drill into the joint, it it changes the joint environment as well and creates mm. more uh, synovial inflammation. Mm. Um, and then you're taking a, a a tendon typically hamstring in Australia, which doesn't have a ligament. It's, it's not a ligament. Uh, and mm. so you, then you put that in uh, to the joints. And if you look at an ACL normally on an MRI, it's, it's like the size of your thumb, but mm. a graft is like the size of your pinky. Um, mm. And, and it, it never has the properties, even at four year follow-up of a, mm. of a ligament. So hence the, the re-rupture rates are fairly high. Um, mm. And so conceptually, yes, it does make sense. This is a new ACL, but mm. it's not a like for like. And then you, you start to go, okay, well, what is that doing when I'm having that technique mm. plus exercise versus just doing exercise? Mm. And so for yeah. physios, it, that makes sense. It's like, okay, yeah, we would just wait for a joint to settle down. We would start applying strengthening, you know, mm. look at, motor control deficiencies and, and what the mm. patient's psychology is like and then are they mm. fear avoidant have they mm. strengthened condition before um but if they're just told based on a scan and even this week i've had a couple of patients uh that because of the coronavirus they're stopping elective surgery but mm. uh, some hospitals and it's come out in the media are pushing patients through for debatably uh urgent mm. elective surgery uh, and they're told, look, based on your scan, you need this this mm. procedure, but there's no sort of scientific evidence mm. to say that, you know, mm. scan alone is what we need to treat a patient. Mm. Yeah, well, it's uh, far out. It's a bit of a, a bit of a dark web, really, isn't it? When you when you go into it, and it's it's it probably just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Let's let's touch on some of the some of the evidence. So. I first, I first, I think, came across some contrary evidence for the ACL reconstruction two or three years ago when that 20-year follow-up study came out um, and then it showed no difference in osteoarthritis outcomes, which was flummoxed me. It was befuddling. I couldn't believe it didn't make sense, right? <laughs> How can you have an unstable knee that's not wearing out quicker um, versus a stable knee? So then I... Well, being a shoulder man, I didn't really go too deep down it, but but that was quite interesting. So, so what is some? Do we have good randomised control trials where we have a group of non-operative versus an operative group and we follow them through? Yeah. So, um, probably, I guess the first uh, the first uh, point I would say is there's that um, you know you spoke about like intellectual dark or the dark web, um, and it is actually it's it's all it's not uh, a conspiracy. It's it's actual fact that um, there was a systematic review by K uh, in 2017, and there was 411 RCTs that compared surgery to surgery. Right. 
Yeah. But there's only one study that compares exercise to surgery and exercise. Mental. It's mental. Mm. And so um, that's why Cochrane, in, in all of their reviews, pretty much for the last you know, 20 years, have said mm. there is no scientific evidence to say that people need early ACL reconstruction. Mm. And it's basically just become this uh, healthcare system supported process. Mm. Um, and so uh, from an RCT point of view, the, the, the RCT is uh, the Canoon trial, which people can yep. look up. And it's got a five-year follow-up with a 10-year follow-up coming out this year, which might crash the internet. Um, mm. And it ha- it's at, at each point, at two-year follow-up, at five-year follow-up, and I know I can say it now. They've, they've come, the authors have come out and said it, although it's not mm. um, published yet, but they've mm. said it through conferences and, and online that there is still no differences between the groups. Mm. So then, Across what measures? Look, are we looking at uh, structure? Are we looking at functional outcome, pain, everything? Every measure, literally every measure, pain, uh, symptoms, mental health, um, quality of life, return to sport outcomes. And these are in highly active, near elite, so kind of mm. – uh, a-grade amateur, the typical mm. patients that would, would have a reconstruction, 18 to 35. Mm. Um, and so this, this is the paper that has uh, turned everything on its head in our thinking. Mm. And you've, it was very balanced, written by two surgeons, two physios. Uh, and, they, and if you listen to British Journal of Sports Medicine and their podcast, they're just like, look, we just wanted to be open and honest. And so we started the trial and you know, in, in the uh, late noughties, people were coming up and patting us on the back saying, look, uh, this, is a, um, this is great that we can finally prove that reconstruction is the superior mm. strategy. Mm. Uh, but then the same people when the two and five year follow up uh, results came out were not mm. welcoming. They were openly hostile is how the mm. researchers say, because it mm. didn't support not only the narrative, but uh, practice. Yeah. Well- Mate, the questions, their whole identity, worldview, all of the above, things that we don't want to have questions here. Uh, so, I'm so just, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm trying to help your people, fault. you know. All your fault. Um, so, so let's talk about, so, so that's the Canon or Canoon trial, correct? Yeah. So when was that originally? So it's one year, five year, 10 year, or what are the... What are the so they did, they did a, it was, it was collated in the, um, the, I think from, early to like 2004 i think they recruited and it took quite a few years to get the subjects mm. uh and then they um published the the, the two-year follow-up in 2010 mm. uh and that this is the first trial that's compared a, a, you know not a, a it could be maybe more specific in terms of the exercises it's quite general but mm. um the other cool thing was yes there was a protocol that people had to uh, the patients had to go through but mm. there was also there was pragmatism in the sense that the therapists could add in exercises as they wanted which was pretty cool mm. um so the the, the two-year follow-up came out in 2010 and then the uh, five-year follow-up came out in 2013 mm. and then they've since done a series of prognostic analyses on the the canon group mm. and they've found that uh so there's a there's an australian researcher actually from queensland Stephanie Philbay, she did a, uh, it was like an award-winning uh, review in uh, editorial, uh, sorry, a, a prognostic analysis in 2017 that showed that patients that have early 
Rico before 10 weeks across every measure at five-year follow-up are prognostically mm. worse. Um, mm. So this, this is sort of uh, further reason. So I guess my key message out of today is that like any other soft tissue injury, we should just wait three to six months, give the patient their options, mm. and then just commence strengthening. And, and, mm. and rehab like we would with anything else. Mm. And then if the patients have uh, like a locked knee, if they have an associated meniscus tear, or if their knee continues to buckle despite high quality strengthening, then they become a surgical candidate. But mm. if, if we don't give them the option, and then if they don't complete the rehab, we kind of never know. Mm. Uh, okay. So what, what, so what you're saying is essentially that an ACL rupture occurs, that person should then go down a mandatory three to six month yep. rehabilitation regime. If they were yes. to fail that or be, I don't like saying fail, that or be unhappy with their outcome after yeah. that, yeah. they can choose yeah. to go on and have surgery. It shouldn't be ACL rupture, surgery happens. And, but yes. only if you really want to, you can try rehabilitation. Is that yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great summary. Um, there's, a, there's an emeritus professor of orthopedics. So he's, he mainly does trauma. But he is a world expert in NEOA, and he, uh, Stefan Lomander, and he was a uh, the the senior author on the Canoon trial. So Frobel, uh, who I've interviewed in person, he was the physio researcher who actually was the lead. It was his PhD. But then the um, the senior author Stefan Lomander, I met him when he came to Perth uh, last year, and I asked him. I said, like, what do you tell patients? And he goes, I give every patient six to 12 months of physio because I can't promise as a surgeon if I operate on them, their knee will be any better afterwards. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he takes a very, uh, you know, non-invasive approach and, and sort of, like you said, the patients have to be uh, willing to commit to it and open to the idea. Uh, one other point, um, this is all assuming the ACL doesn't heal. So... Mm-hmm. When we went through, based on um, animal models, the understanding was that the ACL has a poor capacity to heal because of its blood supply. Now, there's been, since the mid-90s, there's been about 10 or 12 papers that show, in fact, the ACL can heal, uh, particularly when we apply strengthening to it. So there was a paper which, uh, you know, you could pass on to the group or share on your um, socials, but it was a Japanese study in, in uh, 2017, Ihara and Kawano. And I'd encourage you to reach out to the authors because it blew my mind when I read it. But they had 102 patients uh, who all sustained full thickness ACL ruptures plus minus concomitant injury. Uh, and 83 of the 102 healed at 12-year follow-up. <laughs> so, so, this, so yeah. this group... What makes this different is they applied strengthening to the knee. So every mm. patient was put in a brace for three months and they started strengthening within three weeks. Mm. Okay. So, so that's, that's crazy. So there is, there is, okay. So, so does, and so the people who ACL has healed to yeah. or show signs of healing, do they do better than those who, who haven't? So is the healing essential or is it, a like something good that happens potentially yeah i think that's that's a good question so for me like i just had a lady yesterday um like i see quite a few acls now non-surgical opinion I can and imagine. um 
Yeah. So I tell them, look, it's great if it heals, but it isn't yeah. essential. In fact, I don't encourage a follow-up MRI. Um, as you would know with the shoulder research, uh, if MRI tends to increase rate of depression, focus on the injury itself, uh, mm. you know, fear avoidance behavior, increase rate towards uh, trajectory towards surgery. So I just go on signs and symptoms if I was to boil yeah. it down. Um, yeah. And I find the um, the patients that that kind of settles their, their them down and they're not so stressed. Mm. Um, but it, it it's a cool, it's a very cool uh, like mythbuster and i've had four or five in clinic and i've posted them on my my um global specialist physiotherapy group where we are online and it's the there's one case we had in perth here she was um, a 16 year old netballer fairly high level she ruptured her acl she was booked in at three months but fell uh, three weeks but fell sick Mm. and then she uh uh, when she delayed it and a physio had come on my workshop kept rehabbing her Surgeon delayed it till six weeks. Then she had a, her ATAR exam, so she cancelled it again, and she felt awesome. And so they uh, did all the return to sport testing. She was fine. Returned to netball in nine weeks. Uh, has been totally fine asymptomatic with a two-year follow-up, and she had a six-month MRI, which showed complete healing after a full thickness rupture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> so it's awesome, and it's that yeah. I think. If, in an ideal world, if we could kind of, uh, you know, not tell not tell the patient the result of the scan, mm. but you know, mm. if, depending on whether it heals or not, work mm. out some, um, you know, system whereby it, we could de-threaten it either way. I think it could mm. be useful to get an MRI, um, mm. but it's just a great like that, that. That's the sort of the healing paper is what I use with elite athletes because they're just mm. in a they're in a, a, a almost a whole nother ball game like the, the, mm. the media pressure and the um you know the pressure from the clubs and contractually mm. there's pressure uh mm. so it, it's you see them having a selfie you know the next day after their injury in their surgical gown but they're mm. already prepped for surgery like it's just mm. this kind mm. of you know caricature yeah. that we see that's a uh that's a completely different conversation isn't it let's let's not get into it the, the shortcomings of elite sport medical management. Anyway, um, oh. so if I can summarise, I know you have to go. So yeah. ACL, ACL management or non-operative ACL management, let's just say that <laughs> there's never been any evidence to suggest that it, in a randomised control trial that a surgically repaired ACL is superior to a non-operative, non-operatively managed ACL. True? That's true, you know, and um, I'm not saying that no one ever needs surgery like that. Definitely, I'm not saying that, mm. but I'm just saying, uh, particularly now with the coronavirus, the elective surgeries are cancelled. So what are we meant to do with these patients on the wait list? It's mm. kind of the perfect opportunity for them to get rehabbing, uh, you know, with telehealth. And, and I'm actually mm. just did one before this. I had a, a patient in far north Queensland. Uh, Wednesday I had a patient in southeast Queensland, um, guy in Saudi Arabia this afternoon, and next mm. week people all over the world. It's it's mm. you know they're kind of well they can't have an op, so mm. it's almost hand of God forced to to not you know. So so you um, you offer telehealth stuff uh, online. So tell us exactly what you offer, Kieran. <laughs> 
So, well, for, for physios that are listening, I do uh, online courses that are um, you can you can check out at uh, globalspecialistphysio.com forward slash ACL. So there's courses that you can access through there. Uh, for patients, I do uh, second opinion reviews, non-surgical uh, via Zoom like this or um, Skype, and I found them to be very successful. Uh, at, at the very least, it's an education session, so mm. they they can be informed of their options. Mm. But a lot of the patients will go on and just and just do, you know, ec- education and, and exercise with, facilitated through through me. Excellent. And you don't do you demonize open kinetic chain exercises for the knee, or where are you, where are you at with that? I'm alright. I'm okay with it. I think that I think the end the end game is always function, and so. Um, I'm really interested in, uh, you know, getting the like. If they was if their job was sitting down at a chair straightening their knee all day, then maybe that would be one of the exercises I'd give. But I'm not like, if the if the if there's no ACL, assuming it doesn't heal, then it doesn't matter. There's no studies that say it's detrimental. So I, I, I just I'm happy if people want to do it, but it's not my go-to exercise, I guess. Awesome. All right, mate. I'll uh, I'll let you get back to saving saving the ATL world. <laughs> and uh, have have a good day. Have a stay safe from all this mayhem that's going out there. And thank you very much for your time. I'm sure people will get a lot out of it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, it's it's good. I love talking about it. And yeah, there's there's much more to unpack. So I'm happy to do uh, you know yeah. more sessions in the future if you're keen. And um, I, I not just say, uh, I'll, I'll take you up on that. Yeah, yeah, not just uh, a little, that's just a little snippet. No, totally. There's about 14 other questions I have written down that I want to get through. We were uh, we were handicapped by technology today, but definitely let's yeah. sit down and do something else again in the future, mate. Cool, mate. All right, Kieran. Cheers, pal. Take All right, care, cool. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Shoulder Physio Podcast with Kieran Richardson. In the time that has elapsed since April 2020, when we recorded this conversation, the content discussed is still accurate and up to date. If you want more information about today's episode, check out our show notes at www.shoulderphysio.com. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to follow and subscribe on your podcast player of choice and leave a rating or review. It really helps the show reach more people. Thanks for listening. I'll chat to you soon. The Shoulder Physio Podcast would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded from the lands of the Ugamba people. I also acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which each of you are living, learning and working from every day. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia.